0: Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Balmer, Senior Pastor Calvary Chapel, Melbourne, in Melbourne, Florida.
1: It's very important that we see that the Old Testament matches what Jesus is talking about in the New Testament. Isaiah 53, 7 says this, He was oppressed and afflicted, Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. Think Jesus knew that? Sure, he knew it.
0: Our flesh likes to bend the truth in order to suit ourselves, to serve our own goals and meet our own selfish needs. The religious leaders trying to condemn Jesus couldn't come up with a reason to convict him, so they kept bending the truth until they came up with a lie that would stick. Twisting the truth is a dangerous game. Inevitably, the outcome is the corruption of good and ultimately death. To understand the word and truth, you have to be truly submitted and obedient to God, not dabbling in Christianity or holding up some parts of the word and dismissing others but wholeheartedly accepting the word, no matter how unpopular to the world. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, let's join Pastor Mark in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verse 51, for our continuing study entitled, All Alone, Deserted and Forsaken.
1: But Jesus here, every single person he cared about fled. Actually, here you think about it. When they walk into the safety of the garden, the 11 are with them. Judas is already gone. Now, when they come and there's some rubber's going to hit the road, there's some difficulty, they're out of here. Three years of teaching, ups and downs, being with them, giving them grace, giving them mercy. Boom. You've heard the song, We're Often Hurt by the ones we love the most. This was Jesus. Turn to Colossians 4.12. I want to give you one verse quickly. This is a great verse to pray for our loved ones who are facing opposition, who need God's strength to stand firm. Jesus prayed this for his disciples, but they blew it anyway. Colossians 4.12. Epaphras, Who is one of you, Paul says, and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. Does that sound like my prayers? Your prayer time? Wrestling in prayer for you. What was he wrestling about? That you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. If you want to pray any prayer for the elders, the pastors, that's a good one. Pray it for us. That when all kinds of things come into our lives and all kinds of accusations, and as time gets more difficult in this country, and some of us will have to put our lives, many of us will probably end up putting our lives on the line. That's the prayer you want to pray for us. That we'll stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. And when you pray for us, don't give it one of those once-over light me. wrestle in prayer for us. That's what real prayer means. Now go back to Mark chapter 14, and you'll see, why I told you that some people believe that Judas went to the place where the Passover was before he went to the garden. Verse 51. And a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Now, Mark is the only one that records this incident in any of the Gospels. So most commentators, interpreters, believe that this young man is none other than Mark himself in the raw. That's him. The word young man there means somebody about 24 to 40 years of age. Remember, Mark didn't see all of this stuff, all of this stuff personally, but he may have seen this. Most of what he got, he got from Peter's recollection of what took place. There are many people that believe the The owner of the house possibly was Mark's father at the Passover, and Mark was there, and Jesus was there, and they headed off to Gethsemane, and Judas showed up with the guard outside Mark's house. And when Mark was awakened by this, he really didn't have anything on but kind of like his linen garment, which is kind of like a sleeping thing, you know, skibbies for us or whatever. He just had that on, and when they left, being a big crowd, he figured, well, I can get to Jesus and warn him first Although he didn't, he arrived too late. And after he arrives, basically all of this stuff is already taking place. Jesus is put into captivity here, and, and the disciples have fled. So Mark in the background kind of follows Jesus. When somebody notices that he's doing this, and they reach out for him, try to use him probably as a witness. You're, you're one of those followers. We're going to use you as the witness that they're getting ready. And Mark was able to wriggle free and ran naked back back to his home. We don't know if that's true or not. When we get to heaven, if that interests you, whatever, you can talk to Mark. (laughs) The last picture we have of Jesus with his disciples we've just given you. Eleven have fled and one has betrayed him. Sad picture. The last picture these were the guys that are going to carry the gospel to all the world. And if you stop and think about that for a moment, and then you add into the equation the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit-filled life, you'll get your answer. If you stop here, you have no explanation for the book of Acts. Wipe out the power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit-filled life, you have no explanation. Because it is the same guys the reason we're having church is because these guys were filled with the Spirit and their life was turned upside down. And they turned the world upside down. That's the only reason. You cannot do what we see tonight here in our world in the flesh. It has to be a thing of the Spirit. So here's Jesus all alone. Now they took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests, elders, and teachers of the law came together. Remember this verse. And Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And there he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. Now we know from one of the other areas that really Peter and John went to the courtyard. John got Peter in, and Peter was actually there in the courtyard and sits down in the company of the guards. Now the first place that Jesus goes, we know from John 18, is to Annas, which is the former high priest and kind of the father-in-law of Caiaphas. And he's there in this preliminary hearing, and then he's taken to the home of Caiaphas, who was the current ruling high priest for the Jews. Now the chief priests in the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they could not find any. So since, again, the Romans were in power, the Sanhedrin were looking, they assembled quickly in the middle of the night. We don't know how many of the 70 respected Jewish leaders were there. They looked quickly in the middle of the night. They were there, and they were they were trying to look for one thing, proof enough that they could take Jesus and this proof to the Romans and say he is guilty of death. That's what they're looking for. That's all they're They're not interested in anything else. So they're looking specifically for that. But they couldn't find any proof. They couldn't find any proof, that he was guilty of death. So they decide to create some. Verse 56. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. So it isn't for a lack of witnesses that they can't find it. They get all these witnesses there. They paid them. They've done whatever. And they're called, probably were called prior, even to the trial of Jesus here. And they come, but they couldn't get witness A, and Witness B to match stories, or C and D, or E and F, or G and H, none of them matched. Now, in a Jewish trial, in those particular days, the Witnesses actually served kind of like the persecution, and they would all give their testimonies individually. Now, if you're going to have to, and this is very interesting, the Jewish leadership knew by the Mosaic Law that you had to have two Witnesses that corroborate a particular story so that you could say yes the person is guilty two so they're going by the letter of the law in the Old Testament to bring about the death of Jesus but by going by the letter of the law they break first of all one of the Ten Commandments you shall not have give any false testimony against your neighbor so here these guys are really hept on keeping the law in one hand, on the other hand, they're breaking it. Amazing, isn't it? Sound familiar? Well, I do this, but I don't remember we talked about certain parts of the word? So here they are, they're dishonest, they were abiding by the law of the Moses, and yet in their heart, their heart was totally hard against God. That's really the highlight of religion, outward and inward. How easy to rationalize, they had suppressed their consciences so long, they were after killing Jesus so vehemently that they couldn't even think rationally. They bring these people in here, none of them seemed to match. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony of Ganyan. So they couldn't get anything to match. Now they find two guys that say, we heard them say something about the temple. So the two get up in separate places, and here's what they say. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple in three days, and we'll build another not made by man. Yet even there, then their testimony did not agree. So finally, we have two witnesses on the same story, but they can't get it right because of discrepancies. Now notice, they heard Jesus say something like this, but they totally misunderstood what Jesus was saying. Jesus said was not talking about their physical temple. He was talking about whose temple, his temple, and they had misunderstood totally what he was saying. He was saying, "You destroy it. You guys destroy it. Not me destroying the temple. You, you guys destroyed this temple, in three days, God will raise it up." Now, by this time, the high priest Caiaphas, he's fit to be tied. He's called this group. They're in the middle of the night. They're in the dark. They're in that room. And they're trying to find this thing and get it solved so in the morning they can take it, put another kangaroo court together quickly, substantiate what was happening during the night because it was illegal to do it during the night. Couldn't bring a person to a court during the night and get Jesus on. So he's frustrated. So he stands up and he asks Jesus a pointed question. And we see it in verse 60. He's hoping Jesus Will actually uh, incriminate himself. Now somebody should have been there to read, to read Jesus the, all his uh, rights, but nobody does. But don't worry, he knows. Verse sixty. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, "Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you?" But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. First of all, there's no reason answering because what they misunderstood wasn't true. How are you going to answer that? So he doesn't answer. Keep your finger there and let's turn back to Isaiah chapter 53. You'll see this prophecy fulfilled a number of times as we go through. It's very important that we see that the Old Testament matches what Jesus is talking about in the New Testament. Isaiah 53 7 says this He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Think Jesus knew that? Sure he knew it. He fulfilled scripture. So the verse 61 says, Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. And the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? So the high priest notices that Jesus is not going to answer, so he totally changes his tactics. Now, we don't get it here. We don't see it totally here. But what he's asking him, actually in Matthew 26, and you don't have time to look it up tonight, but actually he is asking Jesus under oath now. In other words... Enough about answering something. I'm asking you under oath, and the Old Testament law required a person, if asked under oath, to give a response. I'm asking you under oath, are you, kind of emphatically, the Christ, or the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Verse 62. I am, says Jesus. Now, do you think the high priest was getting excited? Yes. See, they were going to accuse him of blasphemy, son of God. Can't be the son of God. If you're the son of God, by, in the Old Testament, son of God, blasphemy, by the way, it was, was treated by stoning death. So he's getting excited. But after Jesus says two words, he gives them something else to think about. They probably never got it, and unless you study it, you don't get it. Let's talk about it tonight. Then Jesus said something really neat. He says this. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, I'll give you two verses. We won't go there tonight because of time. Good homework for you this week. Psalm 110, verse 1, and Daniel 7.13. And what Jesus is really saying there is neat. Now, there is a very good chance that some of the priests knew what Jesus was talking about because both of these prophecies were about the coming Messiah. So Jesus says, I'm just applying them to myself. I not only am saying to you I am, but I fulfill these prophecies. And what he was saying there was actually this. One day he'd be sitting at the right hand of power. And when he was at the right hand of power, and they were going through judgment, guess who was going to be asking the questions in that day? Uh, He was saying, there's a day coming, my friends, when the tables are going to be turned. I'm going to be sitting at the right end in judgment day. I'm going to be asking you, and you're the one that's going to have to respond. Now, he just kind of casually throws that out there. And what he's trying to say is, unmistakably, I am the Messiah, the anointed one. When the high priest, verse 63, heard that, he tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And that was to the 70, the Sanhedrin. And they all condemned him as worthy of death. And as I said before, Leviticus 24, 15 and 16, always said that blasphemy was punishable by death. There was no more false witnesses needed because the high priest knew now that Jesus had actually incriminated himself. Under oath, he had said he was the Son of God. Then verse 65 And some began to spit at him. Spitting at a person in these days, today is horrible, but in those days it was incredibly gross. The Bible even speaks about it. And they blindfolded him and struck him with their fists and said, Prophesy. Now, and here's another homework for you. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 2 to 4 There's some people that believe that that passage of scripture is a messianic test for a person who claims the Messiah. It says the true Messiah was supposed to be able to tell when someone hit him without sight. So what did they do? They blindfold Jesus. They begin to punch him in his face. You know if if you ever do even a little boxing or whatever, you always fend off, what, the ones to your face, because they hurt. You're able to do that. He was blindfolded. He didn't have any idea where the blows were coming from. No chance to defend himself. Just one right after the other, totally, to his face. Now, notice that Jesus does not answer. He doesn't give him any satisfaction. Could he have told? Only if God would have told him, because he gave up everything but his humanity here and then he was turned over to the temple guards and they followed the superiors example and it says there the guards took him and beat him so they continue to beat him with open-handed slaps and this also is another passage for you look up later uh, Isaiah 52:14 and it says this just as there were many who were appalled at him his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. So, that is a picture of Jesus, and before he finishes all the trials, you know he's beaten again many times, and that's what happened to our, our Lord for us. Now, while this is happening, Caiaphas' house, down below, street level, we have Peter. Now, remember, this is very important that you see this, and I think it, it shows me again the integrity of Peter. Peter is telling what happened to Mark, because Mark isn't here. If you did these things, as Peter did, would you be telling them like this? But Peter does. The Bible's integrity has integrity. Now, while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servants' girl of the high priest came by. And when she saw Peter warming himself... She looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. So while all of this is happening, Peter's downstairs having his own troubles. He got close to the fire because it was cold. It's cold at night, especially in Jerusalem there because you're up high. And even when we go, we always take a jacket for the morning and whatever in the evening because it's it's chilly. This individual, maybe the servant girl who John allowed to get in, recognized Peter, he's there in the fire, he's there in the light, and it's a difficult position, and he's sitting at the fire with the enemy. This servant girl says, I know you. Now what would you do? Would you want to be known as one of the disciples? Not a chance. That's the last thing you want to be known at. So, verse 68, but he denied it. And he says this, there's three things, very interesting the way sin works. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. So he doesn't deny that he knows Jesus or he's one of them initially. What's he deny? He basically says this, he lies to the girl and he says, I don't even understand your statement. And he leaves quickly. Interesting, he leaves and goes away from the light. <laughs> when you lie, you go away from the light. He moved away from the light so he couldn't be recognized. He didn't want to be known for who he is. The light brought out who he was, just as when we teach. You know, there's lots of people that are uncomfortable with the light of the word. That's why they don't like our services. Praise God that God is changing their heart. When the servant girl saw him there, many believe this is another servant girl, she said again to those standing around, So she doesn't come now. She just says to them, Well, this fellow is one of them. So she doesn't bother Peter. She just says, Hey, that guy over there. And she's talking to a group of people. he's, He's definitely one of them. Verse 70. And again, he denied it. So this is the second time that Peter has denied it. Then in about Luke chapter 22 tells us probably an hour passes somewhere near an hour, and after a little while, those standing near to Peter said, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. Now Matthew kind of tells us what really happens in there, we won't turn to it tonight, but his dialect gave him away. He was down in a different area, and this Galilean dialect gave him away and revealed who Peter really was, there are some people in Matthew that believe that there was a relative of Malchus. Remember the guy whose ear was off? That said, this is the guy. I mean, Malchus already told me about this. This is unbelievable. You're the guy that, in fact, you're not only one of him. you're the guy that wept the sword. You're the guy. You're the one that's there. Peter finds he's in trouble. Now, there are a number of translations that say during this time or before this time, somewhere near the cock crowed early in the night. You know, roosters can crow anytime. You know that, don't you? And if you live by one, you never know when them nuts are crowing. I mean, you think, what in the way? Is, there, is it daylight oil? And you look out, and it's 2.30 in the morning. You old know, guys, I don't know what's happened. You know, he's having trouble or something. He needs a pill. He's just making his noise. Well, many people believe this happened, because Jesus said before it crows twice, you're going to deny me. So, verse 71 says, He began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them... I DON'T KNOW THIS MAN YOU'RE TALKING ABOUT!
0: In today's message from Mark chapter 14, witnesses were questioned, as well as Jesus himself. And the religious leaders still couldn't find him guilty of anything. They were so incensed that after that they convicted him of blasphemy. Jesus was beaten and spit upon. With the tides turned so severely against him, Jesus' disciples were afraid. We heard how Peter, who had so vehemently denied that he could abandon Jesus, did just that. Lessons for Living is the teaching ministry of Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. The messages that you hear each day here on Lessons for Living were produced from messages that Pastor Mark shared at the main campus in Melbourne. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're listening right now in Brevard County and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet at the Melbourne and Vieira campuses on Saturday night at 6 p.m and Sunday morning at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. And those in the Sebastian area can join us Sunday mornings at 10.45 a.m. For more information, call us toll-free at 866-779-3441. That's 866-779-3441. Or log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the link to the church website. Now, the next time you join us here on Lessons for Living, we'll look deeper into Peter's denial of Jesus and just how easy it would be for each one of us to do the same. Before Jesus was arrested, Peter spoke about how he would never betray him, but Peter was a disciple who was following from afar. Peter reaches a place in his walk with Jesus where he totally turns away. He may be in danger of that too. You've been listening to Lessons for Living with Pastor Mark Barr.